1: And thank you for standing by. Welcome to the Celestica Q1 2021 Earnings Conference Call. At this time, all participants are in a listen-only mode. After the speaker presentation, there will be a question and answer session. To ask a question during the session, you will need to press star 1 on your telephone. If you require any further assistance, please press star 0. And as a reminder, today's conference call is being recorded. I would now like to hand the conference over to your speaker today, Craig Oberg, Vice President of Investor Relations and Development. Please go ahead.
2: Good morning, and thank you for joining us on Seleska's first quarter 2021 earnings conference call. On the call today are Rob Myonis, President and Chief Executive Officer, and Mandy Chawla, Chief Financial Officer. As a reminder, during this call, we will make forward-looking statements within the meanings of the U.S. Private Securities Litigation Reform Act of 1995 and applicable Canadian securities laws. Such forward-looking statements are based on management's current expectations, forecasts, and assumptions, which are subject to risks, uncertainties, and other factors that could cause actual outcomes and results to differ materially from conclusions, forecasts, or projections expressed in such statements. For identification and discussion of such factors and assumptions, as well as further information concerning forward-looking statements, please refer to yesterday's press release, including the cautionary note regarding forward-looking statements therein, our most recent annual report on Form 20F, and our other public filings, which can be accessed at sec.gov and cedar.com. We assume no obligation to update any forward-looking statement, except as required by law. In addition, during this call, we will refer to various non-IFRS measures, including operating earnings, operating margin, adjusted gross margin, adjusted return on invested capital or adjusted ROIC, free cash flow, gross debt to non-IFRS trailing 12-month adjusted EBITDA leverage ratio, adjusted net earnings, adjusted EPS, adjusted SG&A, and adjusted effective tax rate. Listeners should be cautioned that references to any of the foregoing measures during this call denote non-IFRS measures, whether or not specifically designated as such. These non-IFRS measures do not have any standardized meanings prescribed by IFRS and may not be comparable to similar measures presented by other public companies that use IFRS or who report under US GAAP and use non-GAAP measures to describe similar operating metrics. We refer you to today's press release and our q1 2021 earnings presentation which are available at celestica.com under the investor relations tab for more information about these and certain other non-ifrs measures including a reconciliation of historical non-ifrs measures to the most directly comparable ifrs measures from our financial statements unless otherwise specified all references to dollars on this call are to u.s dollars and per-share information is based on diluted shares outstanding. Let me now turn the call over to
3: Rob. Thank you, Craig. Good morning, everyone, and thank you for joining us on today's conference call. Celestica is off to a strong start in 2021, delivering solid first quarter results. Revenue and adjusted EPS were both above the midpoint of our guidance ranges, and I am pleased that our non-IFRS operating margin is up 60 basis points on a year-over-year basis, reflecting the strength of our strategy and strong execution. Our portfolio transformation initiatives continue to yield results, and our core business is growing. Although revenue decreased 6% in Q1 2021 compared to Q1 2020, the decrease was largely driven by a disengagement from Cisco, whose revenue accounted for 13% of our total Q1 2020 revenue. The revenue of the company's non-Cisco business grew 7% year-over-year. Year. Furthermore, we executed the transition seamlessly, and we were able to meet our revenue and mixed backfall objectives. Within our ETS segment, we experienced slightly better-than-expected revenue results due to strong growth in health tech and capital equipment. We also reported our fourth consecutive quarter of sequential margin expansion and continue to target being back in our 5 to 6% target margin range by the end of the year. Within CCS, after having successfully concluded our Cisco disengagement in the fourth quarter of 2020, we are focused on growth. While CCS revenue in the first quarter was down on a year-over-year basis, primarily because of the Cisco disengagement, our remaining CCS portfolio grew by 16% year-over-year. The CCS segment continues to perform well with our year-over-year improvement in segment margin for the fifth consecutive quarter and once again operating above our 2 to 3% target range. Our hardware platform solutions, or HPS business, previously referred to as our GDM business, remains an engine for growth within our CCS segment. HPS generated $200 million of revenue in the first quarter, a 46% increase on a year-to-year basis. We continue to expect our HPS business to be a catalyst for both CCS revenue growth and segment margin strength. Last quarter, we also highlighted that we refer to revenue from our HPS business and ATS segment as Lifecycle Solutions. It is our view that the businesses which compromise our Lifecycle Solutions portfolio share several key characteristics that reflect the focus of our commercial strategy. We consider a lifecycle solutions revenue to be diversified revenue, and our strategy continues to be to expand this portfolio as a percent of the total company, enabling long-term profitable growth. This strategy includes pursuing markets with high barriers to entry, robust long-term growth prospects, attractive margins, and the opportunity to offer our customers higher value-added solutions throughout the product lifecycle, We are pleased that our LifeCycle Solutions portfolio grew in the first quarter, both sequentially and on a year-over-year basis. I will offer some further color on our end markets and the overall business outlook shortly. However, first, I would like to turn the call over to Mandeep to provide you with some financial details on the first quarter, as well as our second quarter guidance.
4: Thank you, Rob, and good morning, everyone. First quarter 2021 revenue came in at $1.23 billion, slightly above the midpoint of our guidance range. Revenue decreased 6% year-over-year and 11% sequentially. Despite Q1 traditionally being a seasonally soft quarter from a volume perspective, we delivered non-IFRS operating margin of 3.5%, exceeding the midpoint of our guidance range by 10 basis points, reflecting the benefits of our portfolio reshaping activities and improved mix across several businesses. Year-over-year non-IFRS operating margin improved by 60 basis points, driven by a significant improvement in our ATS end market. Sequentially, non-IFRS operating margin declined by 10 basis points, driven by lower volumes in CCS. This was partially offset by higher sequential ATS segment margin, driven by higher volumes and favorable mix. Non-IFRS adjusted earnings per share were $0.22, $0.01 above our guidance midpoint, and an improvement of $0.06 year-over-year, while down $0.04 sequentially. First quarter IFRS earnings per share were $0.08, up $0.10 year-over-year, and down $0.08 sequentially. Our ATS segment accounted for 43% of our consolidated revenue during the quarter. Our highest level of ATS concentration reported to date, and up from 41% in the first quarter of last year. ATS revenue was down 3% compared to last year, ahead of our expectations of a mid-single-digit percentage year-over-year decline. Sequentially, ATS revenue was up four percent. The year-over-year revenue decline in ATS was driven by weakness in commercial aerospace and industrial, partially due to COVID-19, largely offset by new program ramps in health tech and very strong demand growth in capital equipment. Sequential growth was driven by strength in capital equipment and health tech, offsetting moderate headwinds in A and D and industrial. Our CCS segment revenue was down nine percent year-over-year largely driven by the Cisco disengagement and partly offset by strong demand from service provider customers, including in our HPS business. Sequentially, CCS revenue is down 19%, driven by seasonality in our enterprise business as well as the Cisco disengagement. With the Cisco disengagement behind us, we are pleased with the growth in the remainder of our core CCS portfolio, whose revenue increased 16% year over year. Within our CCS segment, The communications end market represented 40% of our consolidated first quarter revenue, up from 39% in the first quarter of last year. Communications revenue in the quarter was down 2% year-over-year, as the declines resulting from the Cisco disengagement were largely offset by robust demand from service provider customers. Sequentially, communications revenue was down 16%, mainly driven by seasonality as well as the Cisco disengagement. Our enterprise end market represented 17% of consolidated revenue in the first quarter, down from 20% in the same period last year. Enterprise revenue in the quarter was down 21% year-over-year and down 27% sequentially. The year-over-year and sequential declines were driven by program-specific demand softness and seasonality. Our HPS business once again delivered strong growth in the first quarter, with revenue up 46% year-over-year led by higher demand from service provider customers. HPS accounted for 16% of our consolidated revenue, up from 10% a year ago, and 15% in Q4 2020. Our top 10 customers represented 65% of revenue during the first quarter, down 1% year over year, and 2% sequentially. For the first quarter, no customer represented 10% or more of our total revenue versus one customer in the first quarter of 2020 and two in the prior quarter. Turning to Segment Margins. Achieving a margin of 4.0%, the ATF segment achieved its fourth consecutive quarter of sequential margin expansion, up 130 basis points year-over-year and up 10 basis points sequentially. The year-over-year improvements were driven by accretive new programs in health tech and capital equipment, more than offsetting headwinds in our A&D business. CCS segment margins of 3.1% came above our target range of 2% to 3%, up 10 basis points year-over-year, and down 30 basis points sequentially. Year-over-year margin improvement was primarily driven by favorable mix. The sequential margin decline was due to lower volumes due to seasonal demand dynamics, partly offset by favorable mix. Moving to additional financial metrics. IFRS net earnings for the quarter were $10.5 million, or $0.08 per share, compared to a net loss of $3.2 million, or a $0.02 loss per share in the same quarter of last year, and net earnings of $20.1 million, or $0.16 per share in the previous quarter. Adjusted gross margin of 8.6% was up 130 basis points compared to the same period last year, and up 20 basis points sequentially, both on a lower base of volume. Year-over-year and year, sequential improvements were largely driven by a higher percentage of Lifecycle Solutions portfolio revenue, which is made up of our HPS and ATS businesses, which generate more favorable margins than our non-HPS CCS revenues. First quarter adjusted SG&A of $53.6 million was up $3.7 million versus a year ago, primarily due to higher functional spend and unfavorable foreign exchange impacts. Adjusted SG&A was down $2.9 million sequentially. Non-IFRS operating earnings were $43.3 million, up $5.2 million from the same quarter last year, and down $6.7 million sequentially. Our non-IFRS adjusted effective tax rate for the first quarter was 21%, compared to 24% for the prior year period and 19% last quarter. For the first quarter, adjusted net earnings were $27.8 million, compared to $20.7 million for the prior year period, and $33.3 million last quarter. Non-IFRS adjusted earnings per share of $0.22 were $0.01 above our guidance midpoint, and up $0.06 year-over-year, due to higher non-IFRS operating earnings and lower interest expense. Sequentially, Non IFRS adjusted earnings per share were down 4 cents, mainly due to lower sequential non IFRS operating earnings. First quarter non IFRS adjusted ROIC of 10.8% was up 1.3% compared to the same quarter of last year and down 1.6% sequentially. Moving on to working capital. Our inventory at the end of the quarter was $1.15 billion up $62 million sequentially, and up $81 million compared to the prior year period, largely to support growth in our HPS business. Inventory turns were 4.0 in the first quarter, down from 4.4 turns last quarter, and from 4.8 turns in the prior year period. Capital expenditures for the first quarter were $13 million, or approximately 1% of revenue. Non-IFRS free cash flow was $20.9 million in the first quarter, compared to $53.8 million for the same period last year, and up from $18.5 million in the prior quarter. We are pleased to have delivered positive non-IFRS free cash flow for nine straight quarters. Cash cycle days in the first quarter were 82 days, up 13 days year-over-year, and up nine days sequentially. Our cash cycle days are higher than normal, partially due to the lower level of revenue we experienced in the first quarter. Our expectations are for cash cycle days to improve as we continue through 2021. In the first quarter, we incurred $6 million of restructuring charges to further adjust our cost base to align with changing demand levels, primarily in our A&D business. Moving on to some additional key metrics. Our cash balance at the end of the first quarter was $449 million, down $23 million year-over-year, and down $14 million sequentially. Combined with our $450 million revolver, which remains undrawn, we continue to have a very strong liquidity position of approximately $900 million in available funds. We believe our liquidity is sufficient to meet our current business needs. During the quarter, we repaid $30 million of our long-term debt and ended the quarter with gross debt of $440 million achieving net cash of $9 million. This marks the first time we have achieved a positive net cash position since the third quarter of 2018. Our first quarter gross debt to non-IFRS trailing 12-month adjusted EBITDA leverage ratio was 1.4 turns, an improvement of 0.2 turns sequentially, and an improvement of 0.6 turns from the same quarter last year. We are pleased with the progress we have made to deleverage our balance sheet which we have achieved as a result of strong non-IFRS-free cash flow generation and disciplined capital management. At the end of 2021, we were compliant with all financial covenants under our credit agreement. Since announcing our NCIB program last November, we have repurchased approximately 0.6 million shares at a cost of $5.3 million, or an average price of $8.35 per share. As we proceed through 2021, we will continue to take a balanced approach towards capital allocation. We are focused on generating $100 million or more of free cash flow, and utilizing this cash to primarily pay down debt to reduce our interest expense and maintain maximum financial flexibility. We will, however, also be opportunistic towards share buybacks under our existing NCIB program. Our long-term capital allocation priorities remain unchanged we are focused on generating consistent non-IFRS-free cash flow, achieving our annual targets, and returning 50% of that capital to shareholders, with the other 50% to be reinvested in our business. Now, turning to our guidance for the second quarter of 2021, we are projecting second quarter revenue to be in the range of $1.325 billion to $1.425 billion. At the midpoint of this range, revenue would be up 11% sequentially and down 8% year-over-year, including the impact of our disengagement from Cisco. For our non-Cisco portfolio, achievement of the midpoint of our guidance range would represent revenue growth of 3% year-over-year. Second quarter non-IFRS adjusted earnings per share are expected to range between 21 to 27 cents per share. At the midpoint of our revenue and adjusted EPS guidance ranges, Non-IFRS operating margin would be approximately 3.5%, an increase of 10 basis points over the same period last year, and flat sequentially. Non-IFRS adjusted SG&A expense for the second quarter is expected to be in the range of 54 to $56 million. We anticipate our non-IFRS adjusted effective tax rate to be approximately 21%, excluding any impacts from taxable foreign exchange or unanticipated tax settlements. Turning to our end market outlook for the second quarter of 2021. In our end market, we anticipate revenue to be up in the mid-teen percentage range year over year, driven by continued demand strength in our capital equipment and health tech businesses, and a return to growth in industrial, partly offset by continuing weakness in commercial aerospace as a result of COVID-19. In CCS, We anticipate our communications end market revenue to be down in the low double-digit percentage range year-over-year, driven by our disengagement from Cisco. The remainder of our communications portfolio is growing, driven by strength and demand from our service provider customers as well as our HPS business. In our enterprise end market, we anticipate revenue to decrease in the low 30% range year-over-year due to market demand softness and very strong performance in the same quarter last year. I'll now turn the call back over to Rob for additional color on our end markets and overall business outlook.
3: Thank you, Mandy. We are pleased with our company's continuing execution of our strategy, which reflects our team's work ethic and ability to navigate the unique challenges presented by the current business environment. We are off to a strong start with our first quarter results, which we believe position us for a successful 2021. We continue to navigate several challenges in the context of the current macro environment. The pipe constraints continue to impact most of our end markets, resulting in extended lead times for components. In the first quarter, due to our advanced planning and proactive approach to securing necessary components and materials, we were able to limit the impact on our revenues to $12 million. While we have accounted for our best estimate of the potential impacts of component shortages in our second quarter outlook, we are seeing further tightening of supply chains and market conditions are becoming more challenging. We continue to monitor the situation and are working closely with our suppliers and customers to mitigate the impact on our business. We expect these conditions will persist for the remainder of 2021. Despite the challenges from COVID-19, we continue to operate at normal capacity levels across our network. We are seeing the number of COVID-19 cases rise again in certain regions, on many parts of the globe in the midst of a third wave. While some jurisdictions such as Canada and Western Europe are responding with additional restrictions, other jurisdictions are easing their restrictions. Our global operations team continues to work diligently to implement the required health and safety protocols and the health and well-being of our employees and business partners remains our highest priority as we navigate through these dynamic times. Now, turning to our segments. In ATS, we are very encouraged by the resiliency of our diversified businesses. And we reiterate that we are targeting 10% revenue growth in 2021 compared to 2020. We also remain focused on reentering our target segment margin range of five to 6% by the end of the year, despite the continued weakness in commercial aerospace. Our capital equipment business continues to exhibit very strong growth primarily led by new wins and market share gains from our semicap customers. The demand backdrop in the semiconductor space remains quite strong, supported by secular tailwinds. We expect our capital equipment business to remain robust in the second quarter and for the remainder of 2021. In our display business, as noted in our comments last quarter, we continue to anticipate growth towards the end of the year and into 2022. In industrial, Demand has largely stabilized on a sequential basis. With the worst of the impacts of COVID-19 on our industrial business now behind us, we expect to return to year-over-year revenue growth in the second quarter. In AMD, headwinds in the commercial aerospace market continue to pressure our results as operators have meaningfully pared back expenditures in the face of lower levels of commercial air traffic. We have taken the actions we believe to be necessary to adjust our cost structure to align with this lower level of demand. Looking ahead, while we expect the commercial aerospace market to remain depressed throughout 2021, we are anticipating higher revenue in the second half of the year compared to the first half as new program wins ramp. In our health tech business, we continue to see strong growth both year to year and sequentially supported by the ramping of a number of new program wins. We anticipate this strength to continue throughout 2021. Now turning to CCS, having successfully completed the Cisco disengagement in Q4 of 2020, we continue to see the benefits of our portfolio reshaping initiatives, which have resulted in improved mix and higher year-over-year non-IFRS operating margin, despite operating on a lower base of revenue. Our CCS segment margin, once again surpassed our target range of two to 3%, and we expect full year margins to be at the high end of the range or slightly higher. As noted, while revenues are lower on a year-to-year basis, as a result of the Cisco disengagement, our non-Cisco CCS business grew 16% in the first quarter compared to the prior period. We anticipate further growth for our non-Cisco CCS portfolio in 21 compared to 2020. Our hardware platform solutions business demonstrated another excellent quarter, with year-to-year growth of 46% in the first quarter, on the back of strong demand from service providers in our communications and market. This growth helps to offset some of the impact from our Cisco disengagement. HPS represented 16% of our total business in the first quarter, up from 15% last quarter and 10% a year ago. Based on the orders we have received from our customers to date, we currently expect HPS to grow in the double-digit percentage range in 2021, higher than the high single-digit percentage growth range we indicated in January. In the communications end market, we expect demand to remain robust in our core portfolio of business in 2021, supported by the recent strength in demand from service providers. On a year-to-year basis, however, revenue growth will be pressured by the Cisco disengagement. In our enterprise end market, demand has been relatively soft in recent quarters, and we expect these conditions to persist for the near to medium term. As previously discussed, our HPS revenue and ATS segment revenue together represent what we call life cycle solutions. In the first quarter, Our Lifecycle Solutions portfolio grew 7% year-to-year, and grew 1% sequentially in Q1 2021. Our Lifecycle Solutions revenue accounted for 59% of total revenues, up from 52% in Q4 of 2020. We continue to expect Lifecycle Solutions to account for a growing portion of our total consolidated revenues and act as a driver of non-IFRS operating margin improvement. Currently. We also expect our lifecycle solutions portfolio to grow in the double-digit percentage range in 2021 compared to our high single-digit percentage range outlook in January. With 2021 off to a strong start, we remain as focused as ever on executing our strategy, which is diversifying our end markets, delivering higher value solutions to our customers, expanding our lifecycle solutions capabilities, and flawlessly performing for our customers. We believe this strategy will lead to sustainable revenue growth and expanding operating margins over the long term. I would like to thank our employees for their incredible efforts and dedication to the company. Our global team's commitment, resiliency, and adaptability during these challenging times is commendable. Our people are the key driver to our success, and their performance instills on us great confidence that we will continue to deliver strong results and execute on our plan for the remainder of the year and beyond. We look forward to updating you on our progress over the coming quarters. With that, I would now like to turn the call over to the operator to begin our Q&A.
1: Thank you, Rob. As a reminder, to ask a question, you will need to press star 1 on your telephone. To withdraw your question, press the pound or hash key, and please stand by while we compile the Q&A roster. Your first question comes from the line of Robert Young with Ken Accord.
0: Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.
5: Hi, uh, good morning. Um, I'd I'd like to start in the uh, semiconductor space. I just wonder if you think about that business uh, and the puts and takes around uh, all of the chip shortage news that we're uh, hearing today. I mean, it, 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 I assume that that's more of a positive driver for your business, given you know the potential for capacity expansion in the semi capital equipment business, relative to you know any shortages that you know chips might have, you know, driving your business. So maybe some comments there would be helpful.
3: Hi, hey, Rob. Uh, yes, that's correct. Um, as you've been reading, uh, the semiconductor uh, semicap space has been quite strong uh, for us. Um, and, and for the entire industry. Um, you know, we're expecting this year, uh, year-over-year growth and also sequential growth. Uh, and we also feel that we'll grow faster than the market this year because of the uh, new vertical investments that we've been making in our semi-cap space. With respect to uh, the inverse of that, the takes, if you will, you know, on the shortage side, you know, I think we've managed it very well in uh, Q1 as we highlighted in the uh, script. Uh, uh, Revenue that was gated by material shorts was $12 million, which is frankly uh, fairly low. We got ahead of it. We do think that's going to increase as time moves forward, but it's more about tempering the upside than constraining the output. So net-net, I think it's a positive uh, for us, and we're looking forward to a very strong uh, capital equipment uh, year this year and probably likely into next year and and beyond based on the, the forecast that our customers are giving us.
5: Okay, that's that's great, uh, color the um, the HPS growth uh, that you saw. I'm curious about the, the the broader drivers. When you see a bump in demand like that within the HPS segment, what is what's driving that exactly? Is that is that engineering work that's converting into a bigger manufacturing ramp, or is that just a, an expansion of the demand in the products that you've built? Like it, it seems to me that uh, like a, a quick jump in demand there would be. Uh, less likely than other parts of the business, but uh, uh, help me with
3: that. Good. Yeah, good question. So in what we've seen in, in the HPS business, it's been a very robust and growing market, and it's been really fueled for us by a broader adaption of our product set both within of the data center and across a larger set of customers. So frankly, we're, we're gaining market share. You know, we do business with eight of the ten uh, service providers, uh, and been growing share with them. And hyperscaler growth as percent of total IT spend has been increasing. And as a result of that, you know, we've been growing, you know, not just with the market, but also faster than the market because, we, you know, our product's being uh, used, again, by a broader set of customers. And within the data center, we're finding new uses uh, for our products, uh, you know, based on the offering that we have. And then lastly, our operations team has just been doing a phenomenal job being able to... Uh, you know, meet the higher levels of output, uh, you know, based on the relationships we have with ecosystem partners and Silicon providers as well.
5: Okay, great. And then as, as that Cisco revenue, uh, you know, now as you're replacing it, is it the, um, the HPS business that you're using to backfill the capacity uh, from Cisco? And then I'll uh, pass on.
3: Yeah, exactly. And I would say largely so, you know, regarding the Cisco um Transition, frankly, we couldn't have planned it any better. As I mentioned in, in the call, we've met all our backfill targets with a richer mix of programs, uh, uh, AKA uh, hardware platform solutions. And frankly, it's a lot more aligned to our strategy and capabilities. And on top of that, we've had strong demand from our base business. And when we look at the utilization in Thailand, where the Cisco business was performed, it's quite strong and it's driven by a solid mix of uh, HPS products. Okay. Thanks for taking the questions. Thanks, Rob.
1: Your next question comes from the line of Thanos Machopoulos with the BMO Capital Markets.
5: Hi, good morning, um, Rob. With respect to the uh, component shortages, is that impacting some segments more than others, or is it uh, just fairly across the board?
3: It, it it it's impacting the segments that have higher growth rates, Thanos. Uh, So, you know, the segments that have uh, higher growth rates are HPS segment, uh, capital equipment segment, a little bit industrial, those are the segments that are are, um, impacting more. But again, I would count it as it's kind of tempering the upside versus constraining the base demand. You know, it's a very strong demand environment in these segments, and customers are trying to accelerate um, uh, their demand and it's being paced by some of the component shortages. Now, that being said, frankly, we're all over it. Uh, you know, we have good order coverage uh, with our um, suppliers, and the teams are working it very hard.
4: Yeah, Maybe, Thanos, just thing. to expand on yeah. what, Rob, what Rob is mentioning, um, you know, because of the um, advanced planning that the team had done, we, we have been able to largely get ahead of the material constraints. Um, when Rob was talking about tempering the upside, You know, the challenge right now is drop-in orders. When customers want to um, uh, secure product within the quarter, there's just not enough time uh, to secure the material. So we factored it into our guidance, um, but um, it's really tempering maybe additional upside.
5: Okay. And then you mentioned that the cash cycle days should improve, which I thought is an interesting dynamic given the the shortages. Um, Is that a function of your end market mix, or what's,
6: what's driving the dynamic?
4: Um, Yeah, so uh, cash cycle days, uh, the metric itself is just abnormally high in the first quarter. Um, What we're seeing is, you know, a function of the formula. It's a two-point average, and we have a lower level of revenue. And then just with Cisco coming out as well. um, But as we go through the year, the metric is going to get back more in line with what you would have historically expected from us. But even with the inventory growth that we have been seeing, um, or frankly, uh, the reduction that we have not yet seen, um, it is all factored into our outlook and we still feel uh, comfortable in being able to generate over $100 million of cash, uh, even with the current uh, supply chain environment.
5: Great. And then finally, uh, can you comment on um, the semi-equipment margins and um, how they're tracking currently versus what you consider kind of be your target margin for that second? Um,
4: yeah, so what I would say is that the semiconductor business itself is performing very well right now. Uh, so it is in line with our expectations, and we believe that as there is, continues to be stronger demand in the semiconductor space, that uh, there is an opportunity still for some further margin expansion. Uh, on the display side of the business, um, as we commented, we're expecting the demand to start picking up towards the end of the year, and so there's an opportunity for uh, the margins to improve in that business. Um, and so overall, uh, what I would say is that as capital equipment continues to grow, uh, we do still believe that there's some opportunity for
5: further margin expansion. Great. Cool. Thanks, guys. i
1: Your next question comes from the line of Raplu Batacharia with Bank of America.
7: Hi. Thanks for taking the question. Uh, Rob, the communications revenues came in better than expected. I think you had uh, guided a decline of high single digits, but it was down only two percent. So, uh, can you just drill into you know the different end markets within communications? You know which one outperformed your expectations, and then on the enterprise side, uh, you know I, I think revenues came in a little bit uh, lower than what you had guided but also you're guiding down 30% uh, year-on-year. So if you can just kind of highlight some of the things going on in the enterprise side as well.
3: Sure, Rupo. So on the comm side, uh, the strength that we've seen is really uh, in our networking uh, business. We also saw some demand strength with existing programs, which is a mix of HPS and EMS. But broadly speaking, you know, the communications upside was driven by HBS. Again, it was offset uh, by the Cisco exit and some demand dynamics. Uh, but our non cisco revenue was really driven by uh, networking uh, and our HBS business. On the uh, enterprise side, uh, what we've seen is, uh, you know, broad demand, softness, market softness, in HDB and compute and uh, tougher comps. And uh, we've had a, a number of ramping programs in in uh, 2020, where demand has uh, normalized this year. And uh, operator, there's some noise in the background. Maybe you could uh, figure out if uh, somebody needs to go unmute.
7: Okay, th- thanks for the details on that, Rob. Um, okay. And just uh, just to drill a little bit into the into the component shortages. I mean, which components are you seeing shortages? Uh, On, I mean, specifically, and uh, you know, the inventory went up $60 million uh, sequentially. Was that uh, some of that? uh, Are you using the strength of your balance sheet to uh, keep some of the raw materials on hand? Uh, And do you expect uh, inventory to uh, be up sequentially in in the June quarter?
3: I'll I'll take the first part and I'll pass the second part to Mandy. So in terms of the shorts, uh, you know, right now it's it's largely on the semiconductor side, semiconductor lead times by our measure have increased by fifty percent over the last six months, which is you know frankly outstanding. The wafer fabs are operating at max capacity, while a negative on our on our shortages, a a very strong positive on our semicap business. Um, but on the passive side, you know, lead times are also uh, starting to increase. It's been about a 20% increase in lead, uh, lead times on the passive the last six months, and I do believe uh, they will get more constrained as time moves on. tantalum uh, capacitors, MLCCs, resistors, so I do think uh, that will con- get more constrained uh, as we get further into the year as well. And over to Mandeep on the uh, in the inventory.
1: Your next question comes from the line of Paul Steep with Scotia Capital.
3: One second. I think Mandy was on mute. Let me ask for yeah. the last one. <laughs> but Paul, let me take your
4: question next. We'll to to wrap up your question on inventory. Um, yeah, the inventory dollars are relatively flat on a year-over-year basis. Um, two dynamics happening. Number one is we are building inventory for HPS because of the continuing growth that we're seeing. Uh, we are expecting HPS to grow sequentially um, as we go through the year. The uh, other thing as well is, is that because of the uh, supply chain environment, we were able to work very closely with our customers to secure material um, and lined up to their orders. And one of the things you'll see is our deposits also increased quite a bit, uh, so they're paying for some of that. Uh, in terms of performance as we go through the year, the, the turns are expected to improve, um, and so Q1 is expected to be the low point um, when it comes to turns. returns. Uh, Paul, I'll turn it over to you for a question.
8: Thanks, Mandeep. Just a couple quick ones. First one, maybe for Rob, and a little bit higher level here. If you step back and maybe walk us through, can you highlight out either in ATS or CCS with the new programs you've been winning sort of consistently in some of the segments over the last year, year and a half? What's changed with customers? Is there anything meaningfully changing in terms of either your approach to the market in terms of profitability profile or in terms of how customers are contracting and committing that we'd want to look at? Good
3: question. You know, On our ATS side, we've been investing in um, engineering capabilities um, uh, you know, across all our segments. Uh, and a, a big change in the margin profile of our um, ATS business, uh, you know, today and also moving forward, is the dramatic increase in what we call engineering-led engagements. So we're not just in the we're not just an EMS provider in our ATS segment. We're actually, uh, you know, an engineering partner as well. So that's been, uh, you know, a continuing shift in our strategy and our contracting uh, processes. And similarly on the CCSI, you, you know, we call that HPS. That's that's Nothing new, if you will. We've always had a strong HPS business, and based on the products that we've designed and some secular uh, tailwinds that we've been seeing, you know, HPS business has frankly just just taken off and largely fueled by, you know, engineering capability and the solutions that we're providing to our customers. Um, Hopefully that that addresses your question.
8: Great. And then... Maybe uh, the second one for man deep, the classic capital deployment question. Just, just to check in, I, I think last quarter you were very specific about the tangible book value and how you were approaching the buyback. Any change in view on how you're sort of looking at capital deployment now that you've gone net cash positive? And then I got one very fast cleanup. Thanks. Yeah, of
4: course, Paul. Um, so we're continuing to be um, opportunistic. We're, we're, you know, we're really pleased with the strength of the balance sheet. Um, you know, As we continue to generate free cash flow, our priority will be to continue to delever. lever um, Again, we paid down $30 million uh, this past quarter, and we have an opportunity to pay down more um, as we go through the year. And, and it really serves uh, us in two ways. One is um, we are very focused on EPS expansion year over year, and so that is helping lower our interest expense. And then it just continues to give us um, a healthier and healthier balance sheet, which gives us you know, high levels of flexibility. Um, to act when we need to act. When it comes to share buybacks, um, you know, we will continue to be opportunistic on it. When the shares are uh, trading at uh, very low values, we will be in the market to uh, buy. Um, however, um, we aren't feeling that that's the first priority. Um, and so we watch it, we will utilize the program uh, whenever we need to. Um, but if, uh, um, but our first priority right now is to be continuing to look at delever. lever.
8: Got it. And last cleanup one for either of you, just with the life cycle guidance going from double digit versus single digit last quarter, what's the underlying assumption that has to be true to, to reach that guide or maybe put another way is all of what you need to hit those numbers already in hand today. Thanks. I'll pass along. Yeah.
4: So, so Paul, it's, it's of course a combination of the two. So it is, um, HPS and APS. So APS, we are reiterating our growth expectations of 10%. And uh, we're starting to see that as you can see in our guidance in the second quarter, just with very strong uh, performance across a number of uh, segments. And then on the HPS side, uh, we have increased our growth expectations to be double digit, which frankly means 10% or more. And so uh, when you put the two together, it it brings lifecycle solutions to have a, a robust growth profile. On the HPS side, um, I would say that uh, the outlook for capital equipment is uh, strong at this point. And we do have um, uh, new program ramps that are driving a lot of the growth in health tech as well as in industrial. And then on the HPS side, um, similarly, uh, we have uh, firm outlooks from our customers. In some cases, we have firm POs. In other cases, we get POs as we come along. Um, But I would say that the outlook for HPS is stronger today than it was even three months ago.
1: Thanks. Your next question comes from the line of Paul Treber with RBC Capital Markets.
9: Oh, thanks so much and good morning.
1: Next, uh, I was hoping you could speak to the linearity
9: or the expected linearity of growth in HPS over the year. Um, is, is there any, like, I mean, the 46% Q1 is, is quite strong. Um, and then, you know, the outlook for 10% or more for the remainder of the year, you know, does show deceleration. Like, how should we think about it? You know,
4: between Q2 and Q4? Um, yeah, hey Paul. So, you know, we're really pleased with the, with the growth that we're seeing right now in HPS. As you'll recall, the growth uh, last year really went into overdrive starting in the second quarter, and so we are going to start to see some tougher comps. Uh, we wouldn't expect necessarily 46% growth um, in the next couple of quarters. That being said, uh, what we are uh uh, comfortable with at this point is that we would be seeing sequential growth, um, and so $200 million in the first quarter, we are expecting more than that in the second quarter, um, but overall, uh, just very good overall performance, and then when you look at it on a full year basis, it'll be stronger than last year, of course, um, but we, we we do need to moderate expectations because we just have very tough comps when you go to Q2 and Q4 of last year.
9: And just I mean, digging a bit more further into that, like the, the underlying demand drivers remain in, intact. So ultimately, is it, um, you know, do you see such a bunch of growth through the year uh, and the demand and the pipeline from hyperscalers and others continuing to build in that business?
5: Yeah, I mean, Rob touched
4: on it a little bit, which is uh, we're doing business right now with eight of the top 10 uh, hyperscalers. And uh, the eight that we're doing it with uh, actually represent the vast majority of hyperscaler capex. And then when you look at the um, uh, hyperscaler uh, concentration as a total uh, in terms of total hardware spend, hyperscalers are continuing to uh, take more and more share of the overall market. And so we're we're participating in that upside uh, with them. We are, you know what? Uh, rate is in only a couple of customers uh, because of wins that have been happening in the business over the last uh, year to two years, there are a number of programs ramping. And so we do have a diverse uh, set of product offerings that our customers are buying. And we also have a diverse set of um, customer logos and the growth that we are anticipating is with a lot of new program ramps that are in the pipeline already. Okay. And, so, I, and I would oh, also add. Oh,
3: sorry. I would also add, Paul, that in in this segment, particularly because the demand strength is so strong, our our growth is really going to be, um, again, tempered by or governed by our ability to get uh, components. Um, But given the nature of the demand, uh, the design nature of the demand, I would also say that it's not perishable. So, again, we're expecting good, strong, sequential growth throughout the year. We do have some tough comps, but good, strong, sequential growth. And... And because of the strong demand environment, it'll probably be more paced by uh, component availability than anything else.
9: Thanks. That's a good, help, uh, a good point. Um, just shifting over to the healthcare business, could you speak to the, the breadth of momentum in that business? I think you know the, the the Canadian ventilator contract ramped up I think last quarter. But how do you see you know outside of that that contract? You know, in terms of the other opportunities and the breadth of the momentum there.
3: Good question. So, you know, health tech business uh, continues to exhibit a strong growth, a very strong growth uh, in Q1 on a year-over-year basis, also sequentially. I would say about half the growth we're experiencing uh, is kind of COVID-related demand in the areas of PPE, point-of-care, patient monitoring, imaging devices. Uh, and some of that growth that we're seeing in the first half of the year will probably temper a bit in the back half of the year. But... Uh, the other half of the growth we're seeing is really driven by new program wins, and I would say they're not um, directly related to uh, COVID. They're in the areas of surgical instruments, medical hardware, patient monitoring. Uh, so when you put those together, we're expecting, you know, a rather strong year from our health tech business, you know, all in, um, in you know, in those areas.
9: And then just lastly for me, just on the A&D business, um, how do you balance between profitability uh, in in light of, you know, lower utilization of demand in the near term, um, you know, versus trying to sustain uh, investments uh, in that business, uh, because I I do think it's a a long-term growth opportunity, Um, how do you sort of balance those two here?
3: Yeah, that is, uh, that is the question that we talk about. The, the answer is we're trying to grow uh, where the, in, in our A&D business where the markets are more favorable, and that being in our defense business. So as you mentioned on, on the call, uh, we are expecting some revenue growth in the back half of the year. It's majority in the defense space, and it's majority driven by some of the wins that we had last year that are starting to ramp in the back half of this year. Uh, we're also expecting some slight, <clears throat> uh, you know, early signs of recovery in the Bizav market. You know, that being said, we do have several sites in the network that are at critical mass um, and, you know, we're, we're keeping them at that level. Uh, so we don't lose capability uh, until the market does uh, recover, uh, but it has been, um, you know, dragging on our ATS segment. Uh, but again, despite that our ATS segment seems to uh, is evidently you know, stronger on uh, a margin perspective, uh, perspective, largely fueled by the other uh, verticals we mentioned in a semi health tech industrial. Thank Your next awesome.
1: question comes from the line of Todd Copeland with CIBC.
10: Uh, yeah, good morning, everyone. I wanted to uh, ask about market conditions post the Cisco engagement. With that decision, did it have a noticeable impact on overall pricing in the market with respect to not only yourselves but the overall market? Cisco has traditionally been very aggressive with their suppliers but you know, with you a major tier one supplier pushing back, are you, are you seeing uh, a bit of the power shift back to uh, someone like yourself to, uh, to drive better pricing? Is there a, is there a better tone in the market as a result of that decision?
3: No, I, I think the um, in in uh, core EMS, so in the non commoditized space, I think pricing uh, usually is a reflective of how utilized people's factories are. In in some cases where factory utilization is low, some EMS players might uh, make a decision to bring in lower margin work to keep the utilization up, and the inverse is true. So I think. The pricing you know, environment is, is a reflection of the demand environment. With the demand environment uh, being generally robust across most of uh, EMS, I think pricing has been more disciplined. Uh, again, our strategy is to, is to shift away from the lower value-add stuff into the higher value-add stuff, uh, so there's higher to entry, <clears throat> stickier relationships, and the margins tend to be higher because of the higher value-add. Uh, and that strategy, I think, is, has proven out for us and will continue to uh, yield results for us.
10: And, and post-Cisco, are you happy with um, the CCS mix, or do you anticipate you'll need to have a regular uh, sort of upgrading of, of, of the mix as you look forward over the next two or three years?
3: You know, right now, we're very happy with the uh, the CCS mix. Market conditions always change, so it's... Uh... You know, we always always take a look at it, but the mix within uh, CCS is is very good. You know, in the EMS business, it's in the higher value-add areas, and HPS business is growing uh, nicely. And uh, even in the EMS space, you know, um, we're working with those customers to kind of move up the value chain and to introduce HPS uh, solutions um, into those customers as well.
10: And then my last question is, you have the mixes that you have uh, you have excess capital on the balance sheet for growth.
0: Are there are there any other
10: verticals where uh, you think you should expand, either in ATS or, or CCS? Just just talk about what might make sense over the next two or three years.
3: Yeah, I think that goes back to our uh, potential M and A strategy. You know, uh, when we're thinking about capabilities, we always take a look at. Now, does it make sense for us to invest uh, organically and build those capabilities, or is there a, a shorter, more accretive path uh, to buy them? We, we usually uh, default because of the risk factor to, uh, to developing those capabilities in-house, and we've been making uh, investments um, within many of the verticals within capital equipment. We've been working on vertical integration in areas, uh, in areas such as well-made, well-paint, and cleaning. Within our health tech business, we've been uh, adding engineering capability. With our industrial business, we've been adding uh, engineering and design capability as well. Uh, in terms of you know broadening spaces, we're, we're you know we're always looking at it, but at this stage of the game, I don't think there's anything uh, material to to announce or to uh, share with the, the community.
1: And your next question comes from the line of Jim Suva with Citigroup Investment.
6: Thank you so much for the details so far. It's been very useful. Um, I have two questions, and so you can ask them in any order you want. Um, Can you give us a a little bit of insights or updates on on your cloud um, efforts? I I know in the past it's been a bit of a hidden gem in the company of Celestica uh, about your cloud doing so well. Maybe I don't know how much details you can give, but um, any updates on that? And then, secondarily, you know, while a full-year guidance is, is hard to do, there are some moving parts this year for the year-over-year comparisons with the disengagement, which I believe, if my memory's right, is around 500 million. Can you correct me if I'm right or wrong on that? And if so, do you think consensus for this year, which is around um, five and a half billion? down five percent year over year is that calibrated and correctly adjusting for some things or i just want to make sure since there's some moving parts that were kind of calibrated generally correct correctly or any color or direction thank you so much
3: thanks jim i'll handle the first one and, and i'll ask maybe to um, talk about cisco um, but in terms of our cloud business you know we have several sources of growth uh, as we mentioned on other calls you know a comprehensive roadmap is really around all the core technologies in the data center. So within switching, which has been a, a key driver of growth uh, this year, you know, 400G is, is, is one of the key drivers. We have very strong positions uh, with market leaders in other speeds as well, also a healthy white box business. Uh, uh, edge is also a source of growth. We've seen strong um, data center cloud offering, including HPF solutions. Um, and that's been a driver for us as, as uh, data center workloads move to the edge. We're seeing some strength from some of our comms customers on the wired side, getting some expansion from 4G to 5G. And we're also developing some edge programs uh, in the service space that are resonating with some emerging customers. And we're working with them to uh, make sure that they have the right edge solutions uh, and the requirements. And lastly, on compute, we is that's a healthy business uh, as well as the data centers continue to expand AI and ML applications. So, uh, and we also have healthy compute position, uh, positions with our enterprise and service provider customers as well. So, across again all the, the key technologies in the data center, are, are uh, we have very good positions. That's been a driver of growth, and uh, it's very sticky business also because you know with each successful development cycle and product launch that we have uh, with our cloud providers. There's an increased resistance for a partner to change given the criticality of the products to the customers. So uh, success is beating success. And that's been a a key driver of our growth as well. And the second one, Mm -hmm. I'll I'll turn it over to to Mandy.
4: Yeah. Um, Good morning, Jim. So you know, I'll stop short of providing full-year revenue guidance, but I I will double-click on the pieces. Um, And so as you hit on it, there are parts of the business that are growing uh, quite nicely. So our lifecycle solutions revenue at the end of last year was just under $3 billion. And again, we're targeting 10% or more uh, growth in that overall portfolio, which is our HPS and our ATS businesses. Um, so, you know, $300 million or more growth is anticipated from there. On the Cisco piece, about $520 million um, of revenue is coming out uh, year over year. And so you can, um, uh, that's the number one thing that's offsetting the growth in uh, lifecycle solutions. What I will say is, you know, we gave remarks on our growth um, for the non-Cisco portfolio, so essentially the company X cisco uh, We grew in the first quarter 7%. Uh, the midpoint of our guidance implies 3% growth in the second quarter. And we are targeting, um, you know, growth uh, in Q3 and in Q4 on a year-over-year basis um, for the uh, non-Cisco portfolio.
6: That's very useful. Thank you so much for the details.
1: Thanks, Jim. Your next question comes from the line of Matt Shearing with Steefel.
11: I wanted to just uh, ask uh, um, just a question regarding um, your your enterprise segment, um, which is down uh, double digits. and yeah, it sounds like your outlook Rob is more cautious uh, in on that group. Um, I know there's some tough comps um, you're up against, um, but we we are hearing signs of on-prem infrastructure spending. Uh, gradually improving, particularly um, as as companies uh, get back, um, as as projects uh, that were pushed out get, get renewed. Um, uh, are you seeing that, or are you just uh, continuing to hear uh, cautious um, commentary from your own
8: customers?
3: You know, based on the mix of programs that we have, and uh, we're hearing a cautious mix. Uh, we've had last year was a particularly strong year for us, so a lot of the uh, the comps that we think are very stop, are, are really uh, tough, at least for us, on the storage side, uh, and also the same on the um, on the server side. So that's kind of a key driver of um, uh, some of the year-over-year comps, um, the year-over-year uh, lower guidance, if you will, um, and the mix of products that we have. And there's, in our view, there's general softness in uh, HDD and external storage as well.
11: Okay, uh, thank you and and just uh, another um, inventory question um, uh, 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 regarding um, your your outlook, I think um, you, you said um, that you expected your inventory turns actually to to be um, to, to improve um, as you get through the year and you know, even though inventory levels um, are higher, is that correct?
4: That's right, Matt. So, we expect that our first quarter revenue is going to be our lowest quarter of revenue um, in the year. And a lot of the inventory that we have on hand, um, uh, some of it was very strategically brought in to support some of the growth that we're seeing. And so, we expect that our inventory terms uh, will be improving um, sequentially.
11: Okay. All right. Thank you. Thanks, Matt.
4: And operator, we can take uh, the next question.
3: Operator, next question.
7: Operator.
1: Your last and final question comes from the line of Daniel Chan with TD Securities.
12: Oh, hi. Good morning. I just want to drill into the, uh, the semi-cap opportunity a little bit more. Uh, I'm just wondering, like we've seen, we've seen a number of fabs announced, uh, expanded CapEx, and then also some of the suppliers uh, take forecasts up. To what extent has that flowed through to you? Uh, I'm just trying to get a sense for the opportunity for uh, even more upside to what you've been seeing. So I'm just kind of curious whether you've seen some of those orders uh, really accelerate or you think there's, there's more to go.
3: No, it's a, hi Dan, it's Rob. Uh, it's a very strong um, <clears throat> semi-cap environment right now. Uh, we're the largest or one of the largest uh, in our space and have leading positions with, um, uh, with all the major uh, equipment manufacturers uh, that you know do outsourcing. So it's been a direct flow through uh, from the fabs uh, to them uh, right to us. Uh, and again, this year, um, a large portion of our growth is not just uh, by a rising tide, but it's really by uh, new programs or share gains, and a lot of those new programs are based on the investments that we made during the down cycle, uh, and some new verticals, and some capacity ads as well. So we think we're going to be a direct beneficiary of um, of what we're seeing going on in you know the NSADs uh, as well.
12: Okay, that's helpful. Thanks. And then on the on the communication side, as you gain um as, as your customers in HPS continue to gain share and you guys gain wallet share, I'm just curious whether, um, whether that has any direct impact on some of the relationships that you have with some of your larger customers. Obviously, you've disengaged with Cisco, but you've got another large network uh, or communications provider there. Uh, as, as you gain wallet share, does that change the conversation a little
3: bit? Uh, not materially. I, I mean, I think our, um, our between our cloud providers and our traditional OEMs, I think they view us as an enabler uh, to their success uh, versus anything else. And they're pulling on um, uh, solutions that, you know, we offer both offer in our HPS business in, in one way or another. Uh, so the conversations have been healthy on, on uh, both sides. You know, I, I think they're seeing the, the value in having um, someone like Celestica actually uh, design that product for them, uh, and also uh, provide other value-added services. So I think the model, you know, I think this whole uh, pandemic has kind of shifted that model and accelerated that model moving forward. So to, it's been a net benefit on, on, on all lines of business. Great. Thank you.
1: Ladies, ladies and gentlemen, that concludes our Q&A portion of the call today. And I will now turn the call back over to Rob for closing remarks.
3: Thank you, operator. You know, we're off to a strong start in 2021 after a strong finish to 2020. We feel our efforts to diversify our portfolio are yielding results With lifecycle solutions representing 59% of the company's revenue. The revenue of the company's non-Cisco business grew 7% year-over-year. And additionally, our operating margins continue to expand and in Q1-21, we posted our fifth consecutive uh, sequential quarter of year-over-year non-IFRS margin expansion. We're excited that our efforts to transform our business are yielding results. In May, uh, we will be hosting another roundtable discussion for our investors. This time, we will focus in on our capital equipment segment, so please stay tuned for more details. I'd like to thank our global team for remaining vigilant and keeping themselves and each other safe. And thank you all for joining today's call. I look forward to updating you as we progress throughout the year.
1: Ladies and gentlemen, this concludes today's conference call.